Welcome to Drive Time, our UCLA Anderson Fully Employed MBA podcast. My name is Dylan Stafford, and I'm an assistant dean and your host. We want you to meet some of the great women and men of FEMBA, to share in their success, and to give you an inside look at the impact of their MBA. Today's interview is with Carolyn Connolly, UCLA Anderson, class of 2016. Carolyn's story is remarkable. An engineer by training from back east, Carolyn came to Los Angeles to pursue different dreams, dabbling in film and television, and ultimately becoming a professional roller derby queen, skating for the Los Angeles Derby Dolls. Her skating name, by the way, is Firefly. Carolyn decided a steady paycheck and stability was what she really wanted for her life, and she has used her MBA to accomplish just that. She created a 50% pay raise for herself before orientation even started. She's earned three promotions in less than four years, and she has created her family during FEMBA, giving birth to two beautiful baby girls during her studies here, in year one and in year three. This podcast tells all about that and also talks about her global access program experience, the friendships she's made here, and more. We hope you enjoy hearing the story of a great FEMBA, Carolyn Connolly, 2016. As we, by way of kind of introducing yourself, why don't you tell tell our listening listeners a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and, you know, maybe how you chose your first college degree, a little bit of, of your backstory. Um, I grew up in New York and I went to college in Manhattan at a school called the Cooper Union where they, they give me a full academic scholarship for engineering school. Um, I went there when I was 16 because they gave me a full academic scholarship and I did find electrical engineering was very interesting. I wound up with a summer internship at a company in Maine that sent me back to my senior year with a job offer. And being in New Yorker, I wasn't that keen on moving to Maine, but my boyfriend at the time had family up there. So I took the job so I wouldn't have to look for a job senior year. And that led to a 10 years in the semiconductor industry. Um, that wow. relationship didn't work out. I ended up marrying a native Mainer. And right when, right when things started falling apart in the tech world in 2007 was when my marriage also started falling apart. We were both working at the same company and it was sort of one of those things where your whole life explodes at once. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I decided it it was also a little bit of a housing bubble and you could tell because, you know, people in my life who were terrible with money were getting mortgages that were twice mine. And I said, this is out of control. So I sold my house in Maine, took my severance pay because the, the company went out of business in, in Maine. So I took that money and I just moved to sunny California to try to start over. Wow. Um, I came out here and I was playing roller derby. I helped start a league in Maine and I came out here and joined the Los Angeles Derby Dolls, um, which had grew into uh, quite a phenomenal organization while I was there. And I dabbled in the film television theater world out here but pretty much came to the conclusion that I would rather have more of a steady paycheck than gig to gig uh, in an industry where I was starting from the bottom Um, and also a couple injuries from roller derby I I started missing having really good health insurance so I wound up getting a job at the city of Santa Monica it's in the finance department but it was actually a a very entry level job collecting money from parking meters and counting counting the bus money for the big blue bus Um, I was trying to break into higher ranks in the the finance department but since my degree was in electrical engineering and not 
business, finance, public policy, HR really didn't know what to do with me. So I bit the bullet and decided it was time to actually get that master's degree that I've been putting off for a long time. I remember reading your application and I just was fascinated. (laughs) It was not the typical, you know, I mean, obviously women aren't as well represented in the STEM majors. So here you are, Mm -hmm. you're an electrical engineer. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've already, I mean, it was, it was very clear that you were very smart and yet here you were pursuing passions and dreams and following kind of the LA story and mm-hmm. I thought oh this is an interesting person and I remember trying you know just as we took your application to faculty committee just okay you know she's totally smart enough and she's she's going to do something interesting I'm honestly not exactly sure what you know because I didn't quite know if an MBA was going to help you with a, with a government career more than a public policy, you know, and some of those things we talked about that summer. Um, but I loved your your joie de vie. <laughs> you were like you were going for it, and mm-hmm. and and yet you were, you know, like you had a foot in the real world, and you were, you know, and you were like exposed to all these other parts of the Los Angeles conversation. I thought, oh, she will be a fantastic classmate. So I was, I was. It was exciting to get to quote unquote meet you even before I got to meet you. So as you thought about that next degree, you know what was what was your thinking about getting the MBA? What did you did you have mentors who had an MBA or were you considering other types of master's degrees? Um, I liked the MBA because it was more open ended. I had been taking some accounting classes. I was thinking about becoming a, a CPA, and that still may happen. Um, but after I took a bunch of accounting classes, I had to take a bunch of business classes to meet the academic requirements for that certification. And getting an MBA would have killed two birds with one stone. I could have gotten that degree. And also, you know, now I can start wrapping that up. I could start studying for the CPA exam if I wanted to. But the reason I went for an MBA, my, you know, I have family members who said, why didn't you get a master's degree in engineering? Mm-hmm. Um, why not a public policy that, that my work in government is really very recent. I've only been working for the city for five years. Um, so, and a lot of the manager level positions in the city require an MBA or an MPA. And it was sort of the MBA made me eligible for more. So mm-hmm. that's why I was interested in an MBA rather than something that was going to pigeonhole me when I still wanted the world to be my oyster. Yeah. Yeah. Because you looked at my resume and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen and the truth is, I didn't. I don't know. I still don't know exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> I love that openness about you. I mean, because at one level, none of us know. Yeah, you know, we like to pretend we have these master plans. But if UCLA does its job well, you'll be exposed to new and different thoughts while you're here. I mm-hmm. mean, even while we were talking before we started the interview, you're telling me, "Oh, you're going to meet with a classmate tomorrow, looking at a business idea you're considering." Uh, a bunch. He he has a lot of connections. He has a lot of. Ideas. I have a lot of ideas, and we like each other. We were actually gap partners for. He was on my gap team. Okay, and now you might become business partners post graduation. Who knows? Uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who knows? Oh, I love it. What? Um, I, I get. What's it like to skate roller derby? What is that like? Were you an athlete before? Had you done that before? No, I was in Maine. Some women were trying to start up a league, and I'm like, wait, this is a thing on roller skates where I get to wear fishnets, makeup, and bash the crap out of someone else and not get arrested. <laughs> There's nothing else like that for, for women. I mean, I could play football, but I don't get to wear makeup doing it. And and even that, a lot of women's football isn't... This is full-on contact. Yeah. Body-checking people. 
breaking bones. Well, I mean, not on purpose, but... But bones get broken. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit why I'm not as interested in doing it. And once I got pregnant, I didn't skate anymore. Right. Because it's... <laughs> that's, that's good. That's a good choice. I sold my motorcycle last yeah. year. I have two sons. I don't need a motorcycle. It's okay. Um, but it, it was... What it was was having to... You can't just get on a team. You have to try out. You have to be skilled enough. Nobody wants anybody to get hurt, so you need to have a certain skill set that I absolutely, absolutely did not have. And what roller derby did was it taught me, because I so desperately wanted it more than anything else that I'd come across before in my life, that I got myself... I, I learned the discipline. I learned what it takes to learn a new skill that you have no natural talent at. Wow. Um, and also to see what... I can achieve when I'm really, really passionate about something. Like, there, I, there was absolutely no way I was going to fail. I had to get drafted onto a team, and I had to get good enough, and I did not have the natural abilities to do it, and I made it happen. I had to work very, very, very hard to be a mediocre uh, skater in the L.A. Derby Dolls. Um, but that's okay. I was I was pleased with what I overcame and what I achieved and what I did not give up on. Mm-hmm. Wow. What was your skater name? I forgot. Uh, Firefly. Firefly. That's yeah. right. That's right. Firefly. <laughs> I love it. Because I have that picture of you breathing 151 or something. The, <laughs> the hero shot. Yeah, don't, don't, don't spill your drink. The hero shot where you're, you know, it's like that right. is an intense picture. I think we showed that at Leadership Foundations to your class because yeah. I wanted people to be impressed. Look, you have a classmate. <laughs> you know, I love the idea of get to know your neighbors. Like you just don't know people's backstory around here. People have done such amazing, interesting things. And I thought... Carolyn is a very definite example of this, you know, because you don't know that she's done that until you get to know her. Yeah. Right. And I talk to you more over the summer before you started Leadership Foundations than I get to talk to the average person because your life really took off in pretty close succession. So you, you found out you're admitted to Anderson in the FEMBA program. That's good news. Yay. But then what else did you find out? That uh, summer. Pretty much the same week I found out that I had been accepted, I found out I was pregnant. And we had been trying to get pregnant for a couple of months, and that was actually the last month that we were going to try. I had looked at the academic calendar, and I said, okay, Leadership Foundations usually starts in September. Fast forward, you know, if we try this month, I'll have a baby mid to end of October. So this is the last month we can do it. Otherwise, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be starting school, and we're not going to do baby. But... So I found out both were happening at the same time, and then we got the academic calendar. And for some reason, Leadership Foundations was like three weeks earlier than any other academic year. And it was, it was like the day that my baby was due was when I had to be in class. Yeah. So that was when I called you, and I'm like, hey, <laughs> it wasn't, what happens if I miss Leadership Foundations? It wasn't a range. Your due date was literally just right in the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we talked all summer because, you know, babies come when babies come. They can come early. They can yeah. come late. And, you know, we're, we're, we want it to work. But, you know, like we didn't know. You didn't know. I didn't know. You know, we. I was a first time mother. I didn't know how the delivery was going to go. I actually had a really easy delivery and a really healthy baby. So, as you know, I was actually here at school two days after I had her. Although, technically, I had her here because I had her on the UCLA campus at um, oh, that's right. Ronald Reagan Hospital. Ah, that's where my that's where my Jackson was born too. <laughs> um, but it was you know if 
every every woman's pregnancy and every delivery is different, but mine happened to be easy, so I was able to totally taken care of. And then uh, Carolyn has sent me pictures through the years. I, there, you sent me the beautiful picture, like I don't know, maybe winter quarter where she's on your lap and you're doing your economics homework. <laughs> And she's just sleeping like a little angel, and, and you can see your graphs. And and I wasn't going to move her because my, my first daughter could not move. If she fell no. asleep, picked her up, and tried to put her in bed, she'd wake up. Right. So she sat there while I had my, you know, while I did my homework, while I did my group project uh, video conference call. Right, because once they're asleep, when they're that kind of sleeper, you know. <laughs> well, the second baby, who's right now, she's about to be six months old. She's actually such an easy baby. She started sleeping through the night when she was two weeks old which was this November, this past November, and um, Mara still doesn't sleep through the night, and she's almost three. Mm. So I just got I got lucky with the second one. And and uh, Layla came during in November, so she came like towards the end of the Global Access Program, so yep. right in the middle of everything, both, the, both of she them. She came the week that our financial model was due, and I was the financial manager on our team. <laughs> <laughs> so that was... That was a lot of adrenaline. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And you've told me that now sort of um, unofficially you've become sort of a, a counselor to many people who are thinking about family planning. I guess everybody now, they want to come and seek your advice or they want to... I am definitely a safe person to talk about that with. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you um, want to look me up, if you have any questions <laughs> about when you should think about starting your family or how hard it is to have a baby while you're in school, moms and dads... Feel free to contact me. I've been talking about it for three years. Happy to talk about it for another 33. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, there, there's probably no answer, but like, how do you do it? How, how do you make it all work? Um, I, I got asked that question a lot while I was in school, and I always thought it was strange because I... I I guess the the answer the easy, the quick answer is it's just discipline. Hmm. Every minute of the day, I am doing something. I'm either feeding, taking feeding the babies, taking care of the kids. I'm either at work or I'm doing homework. I haven't watched TV. I I didn't get to network as much as I would have liked to while mm -hmm. I was at school. I definitely didn't get to participate in a lot of the extracurricular activities, so I missed out on that. But if you're just talking about academically, if you just are disciplined and carve out the time it's there well I, th I think definitely academically but professionally and we'll, we'll circle back because your your career has been doing interesting things uh, so yeah so definitely academically but professionally and, and then just personally you know there, there are X hours in the week and you've got to allocate them judiciously and it's another thing people have asked me a lot is why did you have it why did you have kids during school or you know don't you think you should have waited till after school and I don't think that if you ask any parent who has a young child, it doesn't matter when they waited. It's always really, 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 really hard. And yeah. it doesn't matter if you're 20 or 30 or 40. It doesn't matter if it's before school, during school, after school, when you've just started a new job, when you are have just got a promotion at your job. Like, tell me, explain to me when this perfect time is that people think that I should have had children in. Mm -hmm. I, and so it, it's really no different. Me going through school, working full time, having baby, or having these babies, is no different than anybody else who's going to have a have a young family. Mm -hmm. I don't care what what's going on in your life at the time; it's going to be overwhelming, and you're going to survive just like every other parent has in the past. 
Right. The species will, is okay. We're, we're. You will figure it out. You will figure out how to juggle things. Um, when I had the second baby, I was, I can't send her to the same daycare that Mara's at. So I'm like, how on earth am I going to do two drop-offs? Oh my God. With you have a to toddler do two drop-offs. who doesn't want to walk down the stairs in the morning. Cause now Mara's old enough to say, no, <laughs> I don't want to walk down the stairs. And I'm like, well, you have to, I have to be, I have an eight thirty meeting with the city manager. <laughs> Hurry up. So you, but so how that just seems like this impossible. And it's the same thing with, I guess, roller derby. Okay, I didn't even know how to roller skate, but I want to be on a team. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds impossible. Yeah. Just, you will figure it out, and you will look at your kids, and you'll be like, I have to make this work. Yeah, yeah. You'll figure it out. I, I, my cliche, you know, it takes a village to raise a fembo. You know, obviously, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, it takes mm-hmm. a community to do anything that's complicated. Oh, yeah, I had help, definitely. Yeah, yeah, so you create a team around you, mm-hmm. get people on... You know, on your on your team, really. That's how my wife and I think of it. It's like you know, our neighbors. I mean, you, I don't know what else you would do without that peace of mind. How could you? How can you right. do anything else if you're if that's not a hundred percent taken care of? Is my experience. Of that's it. but that that was actually a huge. It, it makes a lot things a lot easier if you feel good about where your kids are when you're busy doing all this other stuff. If you're busy doing all this other stuff and you're worried about where the kids are, it's it, that I can't even imagine that would make everything so much harder. I think, in my opinion. Well, this, I mean, Dean Margaret, she has, has really worked hard the last 18 months. We're going to have this Saturday childcare option mm-hmm. starting this fall. And, you know, we'll see if people take advantage of it. But it's. Um, you know, I was talking to Rebecca Soltz about that mm-hmm. because I, I'd been thinking why. I mean, I had someone, my kid's dad would watch them when I was at school on Saturday. Um, so I was, I was saying to her, I don't know if I would have used it. And she mm-hmm. said, oh, I absolutely would have used it. And she pointed out something that, in hindsight, now, yes, I would have used that if that was available. Um, my kid's father was, he would watch them on Saturdays when I was in school, or Tuesday, Thursday nights when I started taking some weekday electives. But then he would also watch them on Sundays when I was writing papers. He'd take Mara out to a park. So had I been able to bring the kids to daycare, to, to like childcare on Saturday here, it would have given him some alone time. Mm-hmm. So that he'd be more, more uh, have more energy for all the times I needed him to watch them while I was trying to do homework. So I, I would recommend that people use that, even if you don't think you need it. Um, your partner may think that you m- may need it. Yeah. So that they have the energy to watch the kids when you're doing homework later in the week. Give them that Saturday off to have some time to themselves. Yeah, it's going to, you know, it's. I really appreciate the progressive perspective that she's bringing to it because there are a lot of mechanical details. There's insurance and scheduling and price points and, you know, there's all yeah. the business side of it. And then there's, you know, it's got to be excellent care because we're talking about people's children and mm-hmm. figuring all that out. Well, UCLA has a great program for uh, the, the, the school where my two, almost three-year-old is right now. Um, the head teacher is a UCLA grad. Um, she got, got her master's degree here in early childhood something. Oh, nice. But, okay. So, I mean, you could get that quality of daycare with just your graduate students. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's amazing how many teach the teacher programs, the graduate, mm-hmm. the, the whole, you know, the whole cascade of graduate offerings at UCLA, you know, they just impact so many different fields and yeah, we're very good at that also. So, well, 
So let's talk about so so your your family was growing and then your your job and or your career in the city of Santa Monica. You, so you have a government job. You don't have a typical MBA for profit job, and then you're not just working for any city. You're working for Santa Monica, the fancy city. Is how I was. I live <laughs> I live in Culver City. I go to church in <laughs> Santa Monica because we had our apartment over the first uh-huh. couple of years. But I just love Santa Monica because they're doing the bike lanes and they're doing. You know, it, it really does occur like this is a city that's pretty you know experimental and progressive and you know the promenade and the train and everything. So what's it like, you know, working there, earning your MBA, you know, looking at steering your career forward? You've had some great career motion already during school. So tell us a little bit about the career impact and and whether, you know, it it did what you thought it was going to do or it's been, yes, that, but also different. Um, No, nothing has happened in the way I thought it was going yeah. to go. <laughs> so much for my plans. So much in the last, not in the last three years, not ever, ever in my entire life. But um, I was hoping to get out of my entry-level job, and I didn't think it was going to happen in the city when I first started applying to uh, this graduate program here. But what ended up happening is I was able to leverage just my entrance into the program and I think it made my resume look more sane to get myself into an assistant analyst position so before I was even accepted uh, no before I started classes in the period of time between my acceptance and when I started classes I got a promotion to an assistant analyst position in the finance department and I started working on the city's budget Um, and I've since gotten to I've been promoted to an analyst position I have an interview for a senior analyst position on in a couple weeks, and that's just working in the finance department. Now, it, I don't think it's that unusual for an MBA to be in a finance department for a city because there's right. that is a, there's a lot of business, there's business licenses, revenues coming in. Yeah, what is the revenue of a city like Santa Monica? I mean, what, what's what's the, the, the budget? Yeah, what's the budget? Are we, um, those if are you public numbers. All can... of the funds, it's over five hundred million dollars a year. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Uh, wow. revenue coming in and essentially expenditures somewhat matched to that. Wow. Yeah, so tracking and allocating and mm-hmm. judiciously managing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and making sure growth is sustainable. Billion, a half a billion dollar enterprise. Mm-hmm. Wow. But the the city also the city of Santa Monica has its own police and fire department, which mm-hmm. not all cities do. Some of them would be under the county uh, public safety, but we're not. We have our own public safety, which is expensive. We have our own bus, the right. big blue bus. The big blue. Um, so we and uh, a giant beach. So there. That's why Santa Monica might. It, it's really not a sleepy beach town anymore. They, they no. call it Silicon Silicon Beach now. Yeah, yeah, and, and it seems like they're just doing such a progressive job of cultivating mm-hmm. that. I mean, because you just watch you watch the traffic every afternoon driving out of Santa Monica. There are a tremendous number of jobs that are hosted. You know, within the city limits of Santa Monica. Yes, a lot of people come in in the morning, and I fight them on the <laughs> on the freeway. Really looking forward to the train. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I don't know how much it's going to. It's supposed to. It, it, it may have an impact on traffic, but I think what it is for me is it's a a choice. It's an option. I now have an option to take public transit yeah. if I wanted to. It's a lot faster than the bus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trying to ride the bus in L.A. I've tried it. I tried it when I moved out here because I'd lived in Germany for three years. And I thought, I'm going to live in L.A. without a car. And all <laughs> all my colleagues here at UCLA looked at me like yeah, I had a third eye in the middle of my forehead. Really? You're going to try to live in Los Angeles without a car? I thought, 
Well, why you not? Do it. You just have to you have to make sure that you are working and and renting strategically. Right. If, if you you really have to mm-hmm. be super. I've, I've luckily always kind of lived on a major bus thoroughfare. I've been near Pico Boulevard right now, near La Cienega. So, and I'm near the train, near the Expo Line. And where was Cooper Union? That's in New York, right? Right. That's Manhattan. So yeah. I. I didn't even drive a car. I got my driver's license when I was 16, and then I didn't really drive a car again until I was 19 and had the uh, summer job up in Maine. My father let me borrow the car for the summer so I could drive up to Maine. <laughs> I almost got into, like, three accidents on the way up there. Wow. Because I hadn't driven in three years. You take the subway everywhere. In yeah. New York. Yeah, you can totally. And you were starting college at 16. Yeah. That's... So you've been an independent person for a very long time. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, that's kind of how I, I sort of fell into engineering Cooper Union um, I was good at math and science, and I did fine on the SAT, so that's why I got into the school, but they had a limited number of degrees. It was either engineering, art, or architecture, and I was by no means qualified or talented enough to be in the art and architecture program, and I wasn't going to turn down a full scholarship. And I was 16, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Right. But I went and got this degree that was great because it got it set me up for a well-paying job upon graduation, but it wasn't like I was following my heart you know tell me about your career now um you know what you're doing kind of what what you know what's what's it like going to work now compared to where you were two and a half three years ago i'm definitely on an analyst track that could eventually lead to government management i feel like that's sort of my worst case scenario and that's a fantastic worst case scenario so Mm, nice i'm i feel very lucky and happy about that mm. um, I'll my worst case scenario is is really a really good comfortable life one of the reasons I didn't like working in the film television industry was every time a gig would end then you had to scramble to find the next one um, which I think would have been great if I was a lot younger and had very particular aspirations but I was just sort of floating in there and I don't like worrying about where my next paycheck is coming from with kids and daycares and mortgages to pay. So w- right now I'm, I'm set up with the degree that I have. And the degree that I have is the only reason I was able to get the senior analyst interview that's coming up. So I'm, I'm set to have all of my basic needs met in my worst case scenario, which means that I can relax and open my mind to any other ideas I have. I can go, I can look in the, private sector and I could I could look for a job and if I don't get it it's okay because I have my worst case scenario is still pretty good yeah um, so it, it's less I think there's less anxiety I can I can explore um, different careers I can see what the market will offer me I'm going to spend the next 15 months or so looking and seeing what I'm worth to the industries that I'm interested in. Um, most of my electives were in finance, so I'll, I'll be looking at a couple of different finance career tracks. Um, and if nothing comes of that, I'm still in a really good place. So, But in a way, because I am not afraid, I have nothing to lose. Right. That I think that's actually going to make my value more, make me appear more valuable, make me appear more confident in interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when you have that arm's length transaction, mm-hmm. I can take this or I could leave this. I'm okay either way. That's a position of, that's a negotiating position of strength. And the other thing, as far as 
exploring different entrepreneurial ideas. If I was struggling to pay my bills, then it would be a lot scarier to try to start a business on the side. I don't know if any of these ideas that my friends and I have are going to take off, but I can take risks with those because I have a steady paycheck. That's great. That de- that covers all of my needs. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Life is short and art is long. If you're going to build something new, you got to have some stability. And when did you start thinking about being a gap fellow? So for those of you who are listening, a gap fellow is basically an opportunity. It's an honor. You have to apply. You're, you're selected. A lot of people apply. It's a chance to be a TA the subsequent year. So post-graduation to come back and really mentor Will you mentor one team or two? Um, they say three to four. Oh, three to four. Oh, okay, okay. I think it's even it depends more. on how many people they get and how many teams they have. When did you start thinking you might want to be a gap fellow? Um, probably about halfway through the program, I realized. And to, to people who don't know what the gap project is, it's sort of our master's thesis. We do a field study, and it. it I describe it as a mini management consulting gig. Yeah, you're for sure. helping uh, another company enter. Uh, Usually, an international company enter a new market. Frequently, it's the United States. Sometimes, it's another country. And you do primary research for them, which means talking to people in the industry face to face, figuring out which people in that industry you should be talking to, figuring out what questions you should be asking, and doing all that research and taking that mass of sort of qualitative and quantitative, but very qualitative data into a business plan. Um, I remember some of the advisors are venture capitalists here at, at UCLA, and I remember one of the advisors telling a story about how many people come to him with an idea that they want him to fund. And he says, how many people have you talked to in the industry? And they say, I've spoken to three people, and all of them think that this is a great idea. He says, great, come back and talk to me when you've talked to 125 people. And that really was true. At the, very, at the beginning, you know, we, we asked questions for to do our research. We didn't really know where they were going. And then the path sort of made itself clear. You know, we, the first 10 interviews made us re-shift our questions in a different direction. You go on the next 10 interviews and it's a lot different than doing secondary research, which is a library search, which is reading materials, which is going on the internet, which is looking at statistics in reports, actually talking to someone face to face and seeing their reactions, just their facial reactions to the question you just asked before they've even opened their mouth. You've learned so much about what is right and what is wrong about this product just from their face. How they, how they feel about what you just asked them will tell you more about what their actual answer is. So that was really, I describe it as transformational for me. Mm-hmm. I was actually very cynical and not very positive about the GAP program. It sounded, because I was actually pregnant with my second kid at the time and had a two-year-old at home, I'm like, I don't want to travel and interview all these people. This sounds like a lot of work that's going to be really hard on my family. And... It turned out to be really, really, really interesting and a lot of fun. And I figure if someone as cynical as me had this great of an experience, I want to make sure that all of the other cynics in the class of 2017, anyone who can gets to come out of it feeling the way I did, which was I really understand what you have to do to make sure that you have a good business plan. Is your product, is your idea really going to work in the industry? Save a lot of money 
and a much higher, I think a much higher degree of success as opposed to doing, not doing enough research and then being confused why your business plan fails. Oh, I love that. You know, the transformation, that's one of those words that you hear. And, you know, sometimes it it sounds like a slogan on a coffee cup, but the way you're describing it, so your worldview, I mean, the idea of gap is it is your master's thesis. It's the Mm -hmm. culmination of the first two years and and you're, you're, you're applying your app, you're applying your education in real time to a real company who really cares and really wants to succeed. Mm -hmm. And they want your brain plus your four teammates brains on their baby you know like for mm-hmm. six months what should we do and and that you are now walking out of here with this worldview that I know how to ask the right questions frame frame the right questions yeah. put the put the number of hours against it it's a really safe environment to try on the management consulting hat mm-hmm. and that's why I liked it because in the end if we totally screw it up we're just students and we didn't actually cost them a lot of money. And if we absolutely nail it for them, which I don't, this, I I don't know how to do this without sounding like I'm bragging, but I think we did a couple months after we gave them a business plan. Um, they actually made a move in Australia that paralleled something we'd recommend in the United States that I think is really, really going to pay off for them. So I, I feel like we nailed it. You know, something that hadn't really been on their, on their radar we brought to their attention and we showed them how and what they should be prepared for. And then it happened for them. So we were right. Oh. <laughs> Except we didn't know what we were doing. We None of us worked in the red meat industry. <laughs> right. None of us knew anything about tracking far, farm to table food. But we, and, and honestly, none of us knew it at the beginning of our interviews. But by the time we got to our 125th, we actually did more than the minimum because we couldn't stop talking to people. We couldn't, everyone we talked to gave us a, a recommendation of someone else to talk to next. We, we ended up having a list of people we never actually got to talk to. Um, and I guess what, what it showed me is how much, what the work looks like and feels like in order to get a business plan in a, in really good shape and have it reflect reality. How to position yourself if you have an idea or you have a product, how to position yourself for success in a way that I really didn't understand until I I did it. And as I was starting to say before, it's a very safe place to try on the management consulting app. I found that it was actually very hard for me to do all of this travel with two young children. It's not the case for everyone, you know, uh, not the case for every woman or every dad out there. But for me, it was very hard. So I it would have been terrible if I quit my job took a management consulting gig that required 75% travel and then found out that I hated it. Right. Whereas there's an, uh, there is a, someone who I, one of my classmates did it and found out that her kids and her family are fine with her traveling. So she was able to not worry about quitting her job and trying on management consulting. She knows she wants to do it and she knows her family can handle it. So it, I think that's a really valuable experience. You don't have to worry, wonder what if you actually get to try it on without risking anything. 
And that skill set, whether you become a management consultant or whether you just experience mm-hmm. the six months, I mean, that is such a lifelong transferable skill set because mm-hmm. all of us, I mean, your passion right now, it's so, I'm like, I want to invest, right? <laughs> I, you know, I'm selling it. I know, I know, you're not even selling it, but it comes across and your, your gap teams next year, they're going to be the downstream beneficiary. And it's that, I think that's that X factor confidence stuff mm-hmm. that, yes, you have to have the the excel you have to have the rows and columns your numbers need to line up you need to have a legitimate story but then where does that confidence come from that has someone say i trust her mhm and when you have interviewed 125 people and then you walk in front of a venture capitalist and ask for money it, there's something very genuine about your industry knowledge it can't be anything but genuine because your depth is so vast that and I think you can sense that in someone when they're talking. Have they talked to three people and their uncle and they, they think that's a really great idea? Or have they really talked to 125, 200 people? Have they spent the last six months talking to every single person in the supply chain and figuring out where their product fits in? Yeah. Um, and figuring out, do they know the weaknesses of their products? Do they know the competition? Um do they know what part of their financial model is really, really sensitive to something going wrong? And how can, how can that be mitigated when you've gone through all of this? And what's the probability that in that industry that something, that particular thing will go wrong? So any, any uh, parting thoughts, you know, if I knew then what I know now, you know, anything you'd like to leave, leave our listeners with as we kind of wrap up and thank you so much for your time. I don't think it's a bad idea to have children <laughs> while you're in school. It's it's no different than any other time. I was very scared that I wouldn't be able to do it all. Mm-hmm. And I think in hindsight, I think I was going to feel the way I felt no matter whether I was in school or not. And it's actually a really great place. I had a lot of support when I was here from the administration. I, I was very, very, very supported. So I actually think it's a great place to have a baby. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, there you go. If you're... Planning on growing your family? Carolyn Connolly, 2016, has uh, just, you know, thank you so much for, thanks for accepting our admission offer. You know, thanks for being so bold and how you've, you know, just really made it all fit. And you you really, you have a beautiful family. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen with your career because you strike me as a, as a person who reads admissions applications for a living. You strike me as a person with all of these capabilities and you're going to find something so unique to to bring them all to bear against you know whether it's in the city of Santa Monica but they'll be lucky to keep you or or what, whatever you may do beyond that I'm mm-hmm. I'm really curious to watch you know watch your trajectory the next 5 10 15 years so thanks for being here today thank you all for listening um, tune in next time when we'll interview another interesting member of the class of 2016 and thanks for being with us today <laughs>